the dreaded last session. I'll try and keep you awake, although at this point I got up in Brisbane this morning, which of course doesn't have daylight savings at 3.30, so I'm more worried about me staying awake than you right now. I'm going to just, in the time I've got available, give you perhaps a few insights into what we see. We run a portfolio of LICs. We spend a bit of time uh, around the sector, and I'll give you an insight into that. I'll give you an insight into some we like right now. Um, but the beauty of the sector, and we first really started doing work on LICs five years ago, about five years ago now. And we started, we were doing a project looking at, or trying to look at every managed fund in Australia and identify those that could outperform by, you know, 2% or more per annum over the long term. And if you do the numbers and you do the work, um, that's actually about 5% of all funds out there being generous. When we started looking at LICs and we did the work, we discovered that that percentage in LICs is more like 50% or even more. There is a great lot of very, very good managers in the space. And that was five years ago. And since then, we've seen a lot of new entrants into the LIC space, a lot of quality managers, a lot of different investment strategies. So I'm going to give you an insight into some of the areas we look, some of the areas we like right now, uh, who's doing what in those areas and some of the things we look for. Now, obviously manager quality was one of the reasons we loved the space. There's a few others. Um, there can be mispricing. Some of them are volatile, particularly the smaller ones. They can move around a bit and that can work for you or against you. Um, obviously, it's much easier to buy an LIC than it is to fill out the 27-page form and provide the AML documents to go into a managed fund, and it's coming from someone who runs managed funds, so it's easy. Surprisingly, LICs can be quite resilient, in particular when markets fall, let's say, less than 15%. They can actually outperform the market, particularly the larger ones. Beyond that, it can get a little bit hairy, but um, they can be quite resilient compared to equities in general. And as I've already mentioned, there's a lot of choice out there amongst LICs. But by far the biggest reason we're in this sector and the reason it's part of our portfolios is the discounts and premiums and the opportunity to be able to buy listed investment companies and trusts at perhaps a discount that wouldn't otherwise. Now, this is historical, this graph. This goes only over the last four or five, about four years. And it shows the average discount to NTA in our portfolio, which is about a 30 to 35 uh, LIC subset. So there's different numbers on premiums and discounts. But the point of this graph is to say, look, for about three years in a row, the average discount fluctuated between about 6 and 8%. But starting in January this year, it started to blow out, and it, it probably reached its largest point at five minutes to four on 30 June. Uh, and then from 10 a.m. on July 1, we've seen a bit more life in the sector. That hasn't necessarily been recognized in those discounts closing yet, but we've seen a lot more buyers come back to the market. The sellers have more likely disappeared. There's more liquidity and more volume, and that generally tends to lead to an improvement in the situation. So you've got this situation where right now, you can very easily construct a portfolio at a, let's say, somewhere between a 7 and 10% greater discount than average. 
And if that were to normalise over the next two or three years, it means you're perhaps adding two or three or four percent per annum to your investment returns over that period, over and above whatever the managers can do themselves, just through that discount normalising. So it does represent right now a big opportunity. To put that in context, those discounts aren't as great as they were in 2010 and 11, obviously post the GFC, but those were pretty exceptional times. And I would say as a sector, the whole sector is very different now. It's much more resilient. Now, there are a lot of things when you look at an LIC for the first time you should think about. Um, I can't go through all of it. There's a dearth of information out there. Certainly, if you're an ASA member, I would recommend the ASA website itself has quite a lot of resources on LICs. Livewire has a lot of data. Uh, there's broker reports you can get from the likes of Bell Potter, IIR, Lonsec. They all do research, a lot of which is made available publicly. So if you're interested, and, and also the ASX website itself has a lot of information. They do a monthly report on the LIC market. So there's a lot of information there to get you started. If I try and boil it down to the things that matter most to us when we're looking at an LIC or an LIT for the first time, it's these. You really want to get an understanding of what, what you own, what are the assets the LIC has, what are they doing, what's their investment strategy, and sometimes that's quite straightforward buy stocks in the ASX 200, but a lot of the other LICs available now have much more complicated strategies. How does that particular strategy and asset class fit into your portfolio? If you already own a whole bunch of top 20 stocks, buying an LIC that does much the same thing probably isn't going to add much. But there are a lot of other ways that you can have these gap fillers through buying LICs. What's the performance been, obviously? Um, and that can happen two ways. We can look at the performance of the manager through the investments that the portfolio has made, and you can put, look at the performance of the LIC itself. And the difference between those two numbers generally comes down to how that LIC is traded, up or down, is it gone from a discount to a premium, vice versa? How has that discount or premium changed? One of the things that's important to us is how volatile that performance is. Does it own a very concentrated portfolio and the value can move around a lot and so the, value, the price, the NTA can go up or down a lot, or is it more stable? Is it a debt-based LIT, which generally speaking trades at a pretty solid, similar price and pays a yield? So what are you getting in terms of volatility? And finally, obviously, what is the premium? What is the discount? Now, every LIC is required by the ASX to report by the 14th of every month on what the prior month's net tangible assets were. You can obviously compare that to the share price. A lot now report more often, some weekly, some daily. So there's a lot of information out there about what that particular premium or discount is. That kind of covers the investment side, but the other important thing, the other vitally important thing in the LIC market is to think about the manager's integrity and how they're approaching the management of your money. Because no one wants to get stuck in a fund or an LIC where the manager doesn't really care, there's an in, a continuing discount to NTA, and they're not doing anything about it. Um, luckily, it's not very prevalent in the LIC space these days. Um, but it's important. 
And so one of the ways we look at that is through IPOs. We look at the terms of new LICs coming to market. And right now, they're pretty rare outside of the debt LITs. Um, but if you go back four or five years, what used to happen is all of the upfront costs would effectively be paid by you, the investor. And so you'd put a dollar in, and on day one, you'd have 95 cents of value. The sector then evolved to saying, well, OK, that's a bit of a bummer for you. We'll give you a free option. And that might be worth three or four cents, and maybe you'll get some upside, and that'll kind of help to cover the gap. And then we went to a situation a couple of years ago where managers started actually covering that five cent cost and saying, well, we'll make sure we pay that and you, you can have your dollar's worth of value. And the latest iteration is, in fact, one step further where a couple of managers, in particular Magellan, who spoke this morning in VGI, have said, actually, we'll go even further than that and we'll give you some alignment shares. And so when you put in a dollar, not only will you get a dollar's worth of value, but you'll get some extra shares as well, particularly if you're an existing investor with us. So what that's meant is IPOs have perhaps become a little bit more attractive than they were from an investor's point of view, but it's also going to make it difficult for a lot of them to happen in the next little while. So outside of debt, we don't see a lot of new IPOs coming to market. The biggest negative for us, something that would blacklist a manager immediately, is raising money at a big discount to the value of the assets off the Christmas card list immediately when we see that. Um, and so that's something to be careful of, particularly where the, you see the very smaller ones. Generally, if they're larger and they're traded for a while, you can look at the history of how they've raised capital and you can get a feeling. But not many things will destroy value quicker than a big raising at a, at a discount. The other thing is who the shareholders are is important. And what we've seen with a lot of IPOs is that it takes two or three years for the correct shareholders to come on the register. Um, nowadays, that's less of a problem than it was. And finally, we want to see continuous marketing by managers. So all of these things together means that the perfect LIC has a combination of great performance over the long term, regular dividends, regular communication, and loyal shareholders. And if you look at the LICs that are successful, that trade around their net asset value, they tend to have those characteristics. They won't guarantee you success, but they certainly help. And so where we see those four things, uh, we are very much in favour of that particular LIC. Conversely, the biggest mistake we see from investors in the space is they buy an LIC for just one reason. And it could be any one of a number of reasons, but just one reason. For example, it earned 30% last year. That's a good reason, potentially, but it's not, because the chances of that happening again are much, much lower. In fact, there's research out there that suggests you're almost more likely to to, you're almost better off buying, buying a manager that has underperformed over the last couple of years, the one that has outperformed, because the chances of that kind of mean reversion happening are greater. So while we like great long-term performance, we sometimes get sceptical if someone's had an absolutely stellar last six months or last 12 months. We would never buy purely based on a dividend yield. We want to understand as a minimum what's driving that dividend yield, 
Is it okay? Is it real? Is it sustainable? If it's an equity-based strategy, do they have reserves to pay dividends for the next couple of years? If it's a debt-based LIC, are they covering? Is that the real return that should come from those assets? Are we happy that it's sustainable? Fees are a bit of a problem for the sector. Basically, you're getting active managers who in theory do a good job, they will charge a higher than average fee. If you're allergic to fees, you may be allergic to LICs. We often see people buy the biggest, and that's okay, but they tend to behave, if they're very diverse, a lot more like ETFs. They're a little bit more passive than average. Um, so we don't often own the three largest LICs. Where we do own them is where we feel like we want to be in the market, but we feel like there's a chance of a bit of a correction. The market's getting a bit toppy and we're starting to run out of ideas. That doesn't happen very often, but the beauty of those very large LICs is they can be, as I said, quite resilient. And sometimes we see these patterns where an LIC can be trading at a four or 5% discount in, a, in an expensive market, the market falls and the discount turns into a premium and the LIC hardly falls at all. And Affect's a good example of an LIC that behaves like that. We saw late last year, if you remember that last quarter of last year, the market fell about 15%. I think Affect probably fell four or five, um, but it was very, very resilient. So they do have a place in your portfolio. That's a pattern we've seen. Um, never buy without knowing what the discount or premium is. Never buy without knowing exactly what you're getting. What's the price? What's the NTA? How do you feel about that? And don't buy every IPO, although maybe you can, because there's not that many coming out anymore. So the quality of IPOs is much, much higher. Now, every, everyone here will have their own view on what they want in their portfolio, whether LICs, LITs are suitable, how much they should be. For us, our allocation to that sector ranges between about 7% and 20% of our total money that we manage. We're up towards the top end of that range now because of the fact that the discounts are quite high and because of the fact that there are a range of opportunities that we find quite attractive. Some people have all of their portfolio in LICs. Some people have none. I would suggest the reasons you might want to have them in your portfolio, obviously accessing some of the quality managers and some of the LICs that you see out there. Uh, Ophir is a good example who spoke this morning. You can't really access their funds management expertise any other way. The other funds they have are unlisted for wholesale investors only and closed to new money. Uh, Regal, I think, mentioned similar. So there are, there are LICs where it's the only way to access some good quality. Obviously, one of the things we target is abnormally large discounts. If that's of interest to you, there's certainly plenty of opportunity out there now. If you value the different investment strategies, perhaps you're interested in having some long short or some market neutral investments in your portfolio, obviously most people can't do that themselves an LIC might be a way to access some of those attributes that let you diversify your portfolio and perhaps negotiate the lumps and bumps a bit better. And then, of course, right now, there's sector-wide discounts. Um, there's also, from time to time, opportunities that come up where LICs 
emerging or uh, as Monash is going through at the moment, a conversion to a, uh, an ETF, which might present opportunities to make short-term gains as well. But they tend to be quite uh, tricky to manage and you need to spend a fair bit of time to do that. So, that, you know, ask yourself, what are the things out of that list I value? How might that apply to me? Now, I'm just going to run through a few examples, quite a lot of examples of LICs that we like. And as I said, there's, there's a lot of quality in this space. So what I've done, rather than try and pick five or seven and only highlight those, um, what I would say is that I've gone through and we've organised some themes. And we've said, okay, if we look at this theme, uh, what are the options within there to get access through an LIC? And the reason we're doing that is we do every year in Melbourne Cup Day, we do a piece called the Melbourne Cup of LICs. What if there was a Melbourne Cup? Who would make the grade? Who would be the winners? And so we're starting to narrow down our list for November at the moment. So I've used that as a bit of a starting point to give you some ideas. Firstly, if you believe the story that growth is good, that what has worked for the last four or five years is going to continue to work, uh, and that those great returns will continue, then some of these might appeal. Firstly, you've got the Magellan Stable. If you're looking for global growth at a reasonable price, and we heard about those this morning, we heard about MHH and MGG, there's a secret third Magellan sort of fund called MFF, which you may have heard of. It's run by Chris Mackay, who originally started Magellan with Hamish Douglas as well. So that's another one to consider. There's what we call the small and loved. So Ophir is one of those. They invest in high growth companies that tend to be smaller, at least smaller when they start. Hopefully they grow into bigger companies. Some others in that space are Barrick Street, which is very small LIC and trading currently at about a 25% discount. Wham Micro and Tech run by Thorny. If you like the ASX 200, the Wham Leaders LIC is one we're a fan of. It's quite targeted within the ASX 200 sector, um, but it's not index aware. So they go where they think the most value is. And then there's Hearts and Minds, which is a best ideas fund with a charitable purpose, was launched about a year ago, uh, and takes the best ideas from a, about seven or eight fund managers and buys a portfolio based on that. We're more of the camp that there's value in value. And you heard a couple of the managers today talk about the difference between growth valuations and value valuations. And a lot of the cheap and unloved stocks are incredibly cheap and incredibly unloved at the moment. And so if that's your thing, here's some opportunities for that. In the Aussie large cap space, we like Perpetuals, LIC and QVE. You saw Anton speak this morning. If you're looking for smaller companies that are unloved, um, Sferia, who spoke earlier, Forager, and the Naos Stable, they actually have two, three, they actually have three LICs, but um, those two, NAC and NSC, are the two trading at the greater discounts of the three. Resources, by some measure, are incredibly cheap at the moment, particularly smaller resources companies. And you can access those through West Oz and Ozgrowth, uh, both run by um, Dermot, who spoke this morning, and another one called Tribeca, 
which is more pure resources. They invest in a range of smaller and larger resources companies plus resources credit. So if resources is your thing, that's maybe something to look at. Global value, you've obviously got platinum, PM Capital, Antipodes, and there is another called Morphic, which is sort of halfway between growth and value, but currently trading at a very deep discount. And they have a sustainability overlay. So if sustainable investment is of interest, Morphic would be one for you. And finally, most Asian markets, particularly China, are again pretty unloved at the moment. There's a mix of growth and value options within that subset of three. But Platinum have an Asian-focused LIC, as do Elliston Capital and PM Capital. All three, I think, own baskets of stocks that are much cheaper than average in Asia and much cheaper than, for example, the US market. You've seen a couple of debt guys present today. Um, we hold some debt LICs. We're quite cautious on the sector. A lot of the new money has flooded in and we think there is a bit of a gap between the absolute quality and some of the others that we've seen come to market in the last 12 months. Certainly at the absolute quality end, we would put the four I've mentioned here. So Perpetual's Credit Fund and Metrics Fund for the stable recurring income. And then if you're after a little bit more risk in that debt space, there's MIT from Metrics and the Qualitas Real Estate Income Fund, both of which target higher risk loans, but what we think you're getting from them is maybe some equity-like returns with the beauty of having a debt position if you get in any trouble. So less ability to lose capital, if you like. So they're certainly our favorites in that sector. Absolute returns. That means different things to different people, but to me it means it's probably gonna lose less than average if the market corrects and it should make you about the same as the stock market over the medium to long term. There's a whole range of different strategies that might fit into this bucket. And this is an area where we see a real lot of potential for LIC investors to make an allocation as part of their portfolio. Because these are strategies that are difficult, obviously, to do yourself. So in the long short space, we saw, we spoke, we saw Regal this morning. RF1 technically is not a long short strategy, but if you average out everything that they do within, within that LIC, it kind of is long shortish. I hope they don't mind me saying that. Monash, obviously, and VGI, who I um, spoke about previously. GVF, the Global Value Fund, does what's called a discount capture strategy. So much like what I spoke about earlier, where you try and buy an LIC at a greater than average discount, and hopefully it mean reverts over time, they do a similar strategy globally. They buy the equivalent of LICs. Uh, certainly do, they do buy in Australia, but they buy mostly in Europe and in the US. And they aim over time to make money from those investments closing up the discount gap. Whether it's by winding up and giving the money back or by the uh, market performance improving. AIQ is another very, very small LIC that does a similar thing. There's an activist investor in Sand and Capital, and the idea there is effectively they buy companies and agitate for change, buy undervalued companies and encourage management to do things to improve the share price. 
Globally, that's quite a popular strategy. In Australia, there's not too many options to be able to do that. Market neutral means effectively, in theory, there's no market risk. And so you're taking, um, you're really backing the ability of the manager to pick winners and losers and to profit on both sides of the ledger. It's not been a particularly successful strategy in the last couple of three years, I might say. Um, but we feel that in a decent market correction, market neutral will come back into its own. But it certainly hasn't been a happy hunting ground. Of all the strategies we have in our portfolio, it's been the least successful over the last two or three years. The future generations LICs, we call them desert island stocks. They are really a, an LIC of funds. So within each one, FGX and FGG, again, there's a, a whole raft of good quality managers it has a dual charitable purpose. So the 1%, all the managers do it for free and 1% per annum goes to charity. Um, started and backed by the, the, the WAM asset, Jeff Wilson and his, and his team. And finally, we have what we call the fallen angels. Um, fallen out of favor, a couple of examples are L1, who was I think the biggest new IPO in 2018. Uh, coming off a few 30% per annum kind of years and then uh, had one bad year, which you've got to expect if you do 30% a year. And so that has, um, has bottomed out at, a, at around $1.40, having raised money, having raised about $1.3 at, at $2. We think now it's on its way back. We, that is one of our bigger holdings. And Blue Sky Alternatives Access Fund, which is no longer really run by Blue Sky, but by... Um, some ex-management, but currently potentially by a new manager in the next three months as well. There's a particular opportunity there where the assets are trading at a discount. The Fallen Angels, you've got to be brave and you've got to do your homework. They're not for everybody. So, um, But it just goes to show the variety that you can get. And finally, invest differently, what we call the stuff that doesn't really fit in any bucket. Um, there's a few LICs that are quite small, they run quite concentrated portfolios and generally they're dominated by a founder who has a decent slice of the equity ownership as well. NGE Capital, Rider Capital and Thorny's Opportunities Fund are three examples of those. They could also all easily fit into the small companies category as well, small and loved or small and unloved. If agriculture's your thing, you could invest in the Duxton Broadacre Farms, which is a series of grain farms that's owned by a lick, trading at about a 25 to 30% discount to the value of the farmland. I myself cut my teeth as an accountant doing um, tax returns for farmers who never made any money, so I'm not really predisposed to buying farmland, but if that's of interest. And D2O, which is, owns a bunch of water rights. Similarly, and water rights are something that have done very, very well over the last few years. I have no idea how to value them, um, but again, it's an option for you. There's a very small lick called the Global Masters Fund, GFL, and it owns about two thirds of its money is in Berkshire Hathaway. And it's, I think probably you can pick that up for around a 15 or maybe even 20% discount, depending, but it's very, very thinly traded. So if you're interested in owning Berkshire Hathaway at a discount, you could look at that. Uh, and finally, there are a few private equity style LICs out there. Baylittle Technology is probably the most, most well-known. They own a concentrated portfolio of unlisted technology, predominantly software firms. Um, they've had a couple of successes and a couple of failures. 
uh, in particular, they have one asset called SiteMinder, one company called SiteMinder, which is probably ultimately the thing that will either make or lose that LIC a lot of money. So again, they're not for everybody, but it's interesting. And Cordish Dixon, there are three LICs in that series, which is a joint venture with the US. So hopefully that gives you something to think about. There's about 50 names there. At least it might help you to narrow down a few options. Not everything made the list, believe it or not, there's another 10 or 20 I could have added. Um, finally, the least important part, because everything I've told you so far has pretty much been factual. Here's the bit where I make stuff up, and because I've got grey hair and a suit on, you believe me. Take it with a grain of salt, but this is what we think will happen from here. We think the debt-based LITs are going to continue to be popular, um, just because they fill a need. And when interest rates are less than one, they're going to be popular. Other IPOs, there's going to be less of them. As I said earlier, we're seeing the buyers returning, and that's a good thing. The worst is over. And by the way, the level of discounts here right now in Australia is not the case in Europe and not the case in the US. So similar vehicles over there, they're not seeing this kind of messy discount appearing. So it's quite unusual that it happens in an environment where stocks are going up. We think the discounts will close. We think there's some catalysts. We're seeing activist investors enter into the space. We're seeing managers be more proactive at taking action, and uh, Monash is a very good example of a manager being proactive in taking action. Um, we think just because value will matter again one day that those NTA discounts will close as well. And we think because active investment management will matter one day again, believe me, uh, we think that LICs currently look way more attractive than index funds. We think that over time, as this obsession with growth disappears at some point, active managers will again be able to do way better than average. So the message to you is go do your homework, figure out where the gaps are in your portfolio and have a look at a few options to fill them up. That's my pitch. Thank you very much.